All right. So uh, what we want to do this morning is just remind ourselves of what the disciplines of build are. And we do this every time, not because we think that we don't know what they are, but we see the benefit in just putting them in front of us and reminding ourselves again of what it is that, that every believing man should be doing. Uh, first and foremost, every believing man at, at every time should be thinking about his heart because his heart is the, the thing from which all other things flow. Everything in his life is affected by how he shepherds his heart. Um, he brings the fruit of his own heart shepherding into his home, whatever his home situation is like, even if he lives alone. Uh, whether he has eight other people with him in his family, whether he has three roommates or he lives alone and he has people over on occasion, he brings the fruit of his own heart shepherding into the relationships that he has within his home when other people are in that home. And if it's a, a fruitful time alone with the Lord, then he is a blessing to the people that he lives with. We want to keep that in front of us. We want to keep in front of us uh, the third of the disciplines, and that is a ministry. And we have official ministries here at this church, but you are in ministry with somebody whenever you're in a conversation with them about the gospel. When you are speaking to someone and you're in a conversation with them at this place here at church or anywhere else, you're providing counsel to someone, you're getting counsel from someone, that is ministry. And the fruit of your heart shepherding, the fruit of your home shepherding, is going to flow right into that ministry, whatever it is. So we don't want to lose sight of the fact that, that whatever ministry the Lord has for us is a function of, it's dependent on our own heart shepherding and our own home shepherding. We're here at Grace Bible Church, and we, we want to become men who are increasingly qualified to serve in the roles that God has for us, whether it's formal roles or informal roles. We have a, a bunch of formal roles here at this church that we have elders in, and we have another set of formal roles at this church that we have deacons in. And the process of shepherding your own heart and shepherding your own home and then bringing the fruit of that into ministry in which uh, the body is blessed is the kind of, helps you become the kind of man that is highly qualified to serve in a deacon role at, at this church or any other church. So even the deacon qualifications are a function of the way in which we shepherd our own hearts. So we want to make sure we never lose sight of that either. And the fifth of our disciplines is the hermeneutic. We always want to be guys who are growing in our ability to understand God's word, growing in our ability to explain God's word, growing in our ability to use God's word. But we don't want to do that apart from our heart. Um, we said this every week we meet together, and that is that when we study the word, we want to study the words as, as guys who have already and currently are still shepherding our hearts. So let's keep those disciplines in front of us uh, again for another two weeks until we meet again. Uh, we need that. Uh, every one of us needs that. I need that. Um, I can tell in my own life that my effectiveness in my home, my effectiveness here is a function of what my own heart shepherding is like. So let's keep that in front of us. I just want to share a couple of thoughts this morning uh, for us that I hope are encouraging to you guys. And If you see these in your life, if you see these in your prayer life alone with the Lord, I, I hope you take encouragement from things like this or these things themselves. So I want to just share with you four things that are, that are signs of a growing intimacy with the Lord. And if you see these or something like these in your life, then just take a lot of encouragement from this, that your prayer life is moving in a good, good direction. 
a healthy aspect of any prayer life is, is an understanding of your sin and a, and a conversation with God about your sin, a confession of, of your sin before the Lord. And one sign that is a, a true sign of, of a growing intimacy with the Lord is, is a grief over your own sin, a grief over your sin. A lot of that has to do with the, the, an understanding of the level of offense that sin is against a holy God. Revelation 4 is the throne room of heaven scene. And there's, there's this structure uh, that all of it is centered around God and who he is. And there's four living creatures who are there together. And they're, they're highly intelligent creatures. They're very perceptive. They're very observant. All they do in their existence is to worship God. And, and this is what they say about God. Um, from their very close proximity with the intellect and the, the observational powers that they have. They say in Revelation 4.8, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God the Almighty, who was and who is and is to come. When we understand what it means to be holy, we understand that that means that God is separate from us. The word holy, its origin, its root, its, its base meaning is to be separate from something. God is separate from us in his character and his nature Lots of other things, and we understand when we sin, our sin is a great offense against him. And that should, that should grow in us a grief over our sin because of the offense that it is to him. <coughs> also, when we, when we look at our sin and the, the grief aspect of our sin, what helps us and appreciate um, why we should have grief over our sin is the cost that um, it was to redeem us from our position of sin before God. The very next chapter in Revelation, in chapter 5, you have Jesus, and he's taking the scroll or the book um, that is God's contract on the earth. And uh, he is the one who's able to hold this and carry out the terms of the end of this age because, as verse 9 tells us of Revelation 5, you were slain and you purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. So when we understand that the cost of our sin was to be redeemed was was our Savior's own blood. Uh, he didn't just look upon us. He didn't just observe us and think about us. He actually gave his life for us. And uh, our sin was what cost him his life. So when there's a, a growing grief in your life over your sin, just be encouraged by that. Just be so, so encouraged that the Lord is using your time alone with him as you talk to him to grow you in your closeness with him. After you've been a believer for a while, sometimes it can be very easy to lose sight of the fact that there is a thankfulness that we should have for our salvation. I came to Christ 35 years ago when I was 15 years old, and um, it is very easy to lose sight of how thankful I need to be for what I've been spared from. I just want to share with you a verse from the same book that I've been speaking of here, Revelation. John is writing... Um, the dictation of Jesus to the seven churches. Towards the end of that letter in, in chapter 19, John sees a scene in heaven. And the context here is Jesus is preparing to exit heaven with, with all of his saints behind him. He's on a white horse. He's, he's coming forward. And John hears a loud voice. And he writes this in, in Rev 19, verse 1. After these things, I heard something like a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. We need to remember that salvation belongs to God. 
And if it belongs to him, it's, it's his to give to us. Um, and in his kindness, he gave it to us. It belongs to him, and he gave it to us. And that grows us in our, our thanksgiving for what God has done if we remember that it's his and his to give, that we didn't earn it, we didn't put ourselves in a position to deserve it, we didn't negotiate our way through things, uh, we were never deserving of it, and God gave it to us. And when we see ourselves growing in, in thankfulness over the fact that God chose to give us saving faith and to save us, um, that is a really, really encouraging sign that helps us see where we're going in our walk with the Lord. A believer has a fellowship with Christ that they never had before. Um, same author of Revelation writes his own gospel. John is writing. He's writing in, in chapters 14 and 15 about the upper room discourse that Jesus is having with his disciples. And Jesus talks for... I think six chapters with his disciples, and he's preparing them for life without him. And uh, one of the things that he does is he talks about obedience. And he says um, in John chapter 14, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our abode with him. As a believer, uh, Christ has come and he has set up residence in our life in our heart, in who we are as people. The Father has made his abode with us. And that is a, a place of joy when we consider what our life was like when Christ has not made his abode with us. And when we look at how empty we were and how aimless we were, the lack of direction we had, um, it gives us joy over the fact that our lives, our bodies are actually an abode for the triune God inside of us. The other thing that, that is encouraging to a believer in his fellowship with Christ is he's actually fruitful. In the very next chapter, in John 15, in verse 5, Jesus is speaking more. He says, I'm the vine and you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. We have the opportunity and the privilege to bear fruit for Christ, for his purposes, and not for ours, but for his. And when we see the, the joy that we have and we grow in the joy that we have to to have the privilege of serving him and whatever his aims for us are, that is a, a really good thing to be encouraged by, is the, the joy over fellowship with Christ. And then finally, the last thing that, that uh, is a, a sure sign that we're growing in our intimacy with Christ is future fellowship with Christ. It's the idea of looking to the future and having a, a relationship with God that we will not have today, that we do not have today. In that same upper room discourse in chapter 17, Jesus is praying a high priestly prayer. And towards the end of this, he's praying about the disciples. He started at the beginning praying for himself. He prays for the disciples, and then he prays for the church to come. And he says this in verse 24, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory, which you have given me. A believer knows that there is a day coming when we're going to have an experience that's very different from the one we have today. We're going to actually see Christ's glory because we're going to be with him. And a sure sign that we're growing in our intimacy with the Lord is, is a growing longing for that. It's one that grows steadily. It's not one you can microwave. It's one that just grows and grows and grows over time spent alone with the Lord in prayer. So grief over sin, thankfulness for salvation, 
um, joy over fellowship with Christ and future fellowship with Christ. Lord, I am so dependent on you, Father. May I not be an obstacle to the power of your word. But I pray for, for my friends here that we would hear your word and we would do what it says. Father, may you have all the glory. Amen. Uh, open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. That is probably, as you think that, that's probably you thinking the, the best known passage on marriage in Scripture. And we'll spend a, just a, a little bit of time there. But often when I talk to, to people, often when I look at my own life, I, I recognize I and all of us our husbands, our, our men, based on experience. Uh, we saw something, and that is what we, how we behave. I know in my life, uh, watching my father growing up, so as I got married, I kind of had this role model of what it should look like, whether good, bad, and different. I think all of us, are bring into our relationships and, and marriage relationships what we have seen. And what I'm encouraging you now is to take, take your eyes off of what you've seen horizontally and let's look at vertical. And think about it. There, there's many things that we do because we've seen somebody else do it a certain way. Uh, Guys, we, we need to let Scripture speak to this area of our lives, of how we care for one another. Uh, with our Bibles open to Ephesians 5, I am going to read verses 25 through 33 to get us started. Husbands, love your wives. I, I want to stop right there. Husbands, love. I want you to consider this before I say anything else. Scripture defines and gives the standard for what love is. It's not what you think it is. Scripture defines and sets the standard. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her, by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself, a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds it, cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband. And right now, some might be saying, yes, my wife needs to respect me. Uh, but you need to be respectable. You, you need to make it your best effort to be respectable. And that's all I'm going to say as you're trying to throw your wife under the bus in respecting you. 
uh, because I'm talking to the guys. And again, as I alluded to it, please allow James 1.22. Don't, don't merely just hear this word and just go leave here doing things maybe the same old, not so hot way than when you first came in here. And I'm speaking to myself. This is, I, this is a very convicting message for me. I've been married, it'll be 40 years, uh, just a little over a month from now, and God is still transforming me as a husband. So if you were kind of thinking you're going to get to a point and have it all figured out, sorry. Uh, point one on your handout, the husband is to initiate and maintain love for his wife. In the same way, Christ initiates and maintains love for his church. The same way, is, is there's a oneness relationship. And, and the husband, and we are to be the instigators of a oneness relationship. It, it's oneness in prayer. It, it's a willingness to be vulnerable <coughs> and pray with your wife. It, it's a oneness about even addressing tough topics that you really don't feel like talking about or you know aren't going to go well because it's a hard topic but but we don't avoid it have you ever sat there and you thought well why would I want to bring this up maybe she's not thinking about it and, and it keeps you from doing the right thing I, I sense I, I can do that I think some of you can do it too guys but if we want to create the oneness that God had intended we will initiate hard conversations. And I can't say enough about praying with our spouses. But that leads us to imperative number one. And that is Ephesians 5.25. We just read it. And I'm just going to read verse 25. Husbands, love your wife just as, in the same way as, Christ <coughs> loved the church and gave himself for her. The idea here is, is we are being told to love in the same way that Christ loved. To, to love in the same way that Christ loves, we need to have an understanding of what Scripture says. And point A, you are to love your wife in the same way as Christ loved the church by making Christ's example of love your standard of love. So we need, we need to recognize, as we're told to love our wives in the same way, we need to recognize God has a standard. It's not what I feel like. And that takes us to imperative number two, and that's John fifteen twelve. This is my command. Love one another as I loved you. And I realize there might be somebody sitting here right now saying, gosh, that's not a marriage verse. It, we're, we're learning about how to love in the same way that Christ loved. That's what we're called to. Scripture not only commands us to love, but it sets the standard for love. Let, let me read it. Go to Romans chapter 8. And I'm going to read three verses from chapter 8. Romans 8, 35, 38, and 39. And this is, we're talking about the standard of Christ's love. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction, can anguish, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? Guys, think about this. And, and think about your thought life. Who 
can separate you from your wife? Who can separate you from, from that relationship? We're loving in the same way as Christ. Verse 38, for I am persuaded that not even death nor life, angels, rulers, or any other created thing will have power to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus Christ has set the standard, man. And, and it's the oneness. There, there's nothing that's going to separate us. Not even hard conversations. Not even things going my way. And, and here's the thing. As the husband, as the initiator, we follow Christ as our model. To love as Christ loves, we must set aside the focus of of just giving attention to ourselves, primarily caring about ourselves. We have to turn away from selfishness, control, manipulation, self-gratification, self-absorption. Let, let me just say a couple of things about the few adjectives I just used. Selfishness, getting what you want first. It's your way the highway. It's your family's more important than her family. You ignore her family. Control manipulation. It's even our voice inflection. It's how we communicate. Uh, we can we can manipulate and control by raising our voice or even get clamming up and saying nothing. They're, they're both equally sinful. One, one looks worse than the other, but to clam up and give your wife the silent treatment, the Lord would never do that to us. And we're loving in the same way. He has set the standard. Self-gratification, it's excessive sinful behaviors. It, it's doing what you want. Self-absorption, you're, you're the most important person in a relationship. Guys, we're, we're talking about a Savior who was perfect, who died on a cross who gave himself up for us. I gave you other verses there that we're not going to go into now, but if you see this and you want to be convinced for Scripture, the type of men that you need to be, go, go look at these verses that I give you there. Uh, point two, by initiating love for her the same way, you kind of catching the theme here, the same way? Okay. It's the same way as Christ initiated to the believer. And that's imperative three. And that's 1 John 4.19. We love because he first loved us. If we are going to love in the same way as Christ, we need to love our spouses regardless of what they do. Our, our love needs to be static. We're not an emotional roller coaster because you're not getting what you want or things just aren't going well. We love because he first loved us. Because God first loved us, our will, our affections are transformed. And, and let me say this. If you don't see a transformation, guys, that is the work of the Holy Spirit in us. If you do not see a, a transformation going on in your life, it, it Come talk to me, talk to Scott, talk to the, any of the elders, sp speak to people you're close to. There must be transformation in the believer's life. 
You should lead by being an example to your wife and children. Initiate love by being an example. Just in your pursuit of God, it is important for your wives, it is important for children to see their dad, see their husband in the Word of God. To see that you initiate by by even leading in prayer. We're setting an example. It, It was interesting. We were... I'm sure in your small group, perhaps you were as well, in our small group that Scott led, we were looking at Deuteronomy 6. And and it talks about teach them to your children. That The command in Deuteronomy 6, the command has always been that we teach and lead by example. Guys, you need to be initiating being the example in your home. By, by caring, sacrificing, serving. Lead by example and just decision making. Let me, let me say this. To fail to make a decision is making a decision. Guys, this is not a call to passivity. We, we need to be diligent men. It needs to impact our homes. You, you can be a good example. This one's really easy. By being a good listener. Do do you listen? This is so convicting. Because I'm good at half listening. I hope my wife doesn't listen to this. But she already knows. But but guys, do you listen? Do, Do you hear what's being communicated in your house? Be an example by forgiving and seeking forgiveness when you sin. Seek forgiveness when you use harsh tones, when when you're angry. Guys, be an example of seeking forgiveness. I, I, I know there's people, and there maybe even people in this room, that have never sought forgiveness for anything. Guys, it's sinful. We are still talking about a husband. It's one that initiates an example of, of having an attitude of thanksgiving. Uh, you know, I, God has transformed me. I've been a believer 33 years in, in my early walk. One of my besetting sins is, is I was a grumbler. I, I, I could complain about anything. It's too hot. It, I mean, I can complain about anything. I need to be, we need to be examples of just showing thanksgiving to God. Even in the most mundane things that we don't even even think about, we need to be aware of every gift that God has given us. Be an example in how you bring correction. Uh, You know, Scripture uses a word admonish, and I would want to give a little definition to this when you're bringing correction. Uh, Admonishment is always based on Scripture. If you can't bring a scripture to something you're trying to correct, we're, we're most likely talking about a preference. Guys, be careful with your preferences. But if the admonishment's really needing, needed, you'll be able to go to scripture and come up with a verse and say, hey, would you consider this? But so often what we get caught up in is just our preferences. <clears throat> but even so, we, we correct them well. Example, Christ's love by continuing to initiate. 
even when the response is negative. And guys, I know this is hard, but, but our example is Jesus Christ. Think, think about his love, his forgiveness for us, even as we reject him. Three, by loving and accepting her unconditionally in the same way, Christ loves and accepts the believer without condition. Here's a picture of the same way, and you don't need to turn there, but it's Romans 5.8. But God proves his own love for us that while we were sinners, Christ died, died for us. Uh, guys, in the same way. Boy, that here all of a sudden smells like smoke. But can you, Is anybody else smelling that? Thanks, Mike. You're an encourager. Uh, uh, let, let me say this. Uh, his own love for us while we were sinners. Let, let, let me say this. If you think you are loving your wife to motivate her to give a certain response, wrong. God doesn't love us that way. But we love our wife not to get a response. We love our wife to give glory to God. It doesn't matter how our spouses, how the people around us respond. We do the right thing to be pleasing to the Lord. Uh, You must give selfishly regardless of her response. Point B, you must love her and accept her for who she is rather than demanding she change to be pleasing to you just to please you. Often when a husband is not satisfied with his wife, uh, his lack of care, his lack of care for the family is instrument, very instrumental in, in who the wife becomes. If you don't like the way your wife has become, man, we've probably caused them and our care for them has probably caused them to, to the position where they're at. And that takes us to uh, imperative number four, and that's Romans 15, 7. Therefore, accept one another just as the Messiah also accepted you for the glory of God. But guys, regardless of how your wife responds, you do the right thing. By dying daily to self-will, seeking God's will in the same way Christ did as a demonstration of his love and servant's heart. Jesus willingly, voluntarily gave himself up for us while we were still sinners. You should die to self-interest and self-protection. Again, Jesus is the model, and it takes us to Imperative 5, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.15. Uh, and it, It's a picture of the gospel here, and it says, And he died for all, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died. Our lives are to be a sacrifice, living for the one who paid the penalty of our sin. And, and if you go one verse before 2 Corinthians 15, that would be 2 Corinthians 5.14, even in the NIV. I knew I'd get a laugh. Uh, 
you'd have to be in our small group to have completely gotten that one. But, but, but here it is. Here, here's what 2 Corinthians 5.14 says. Christ's love compels us. Is Christ's love compelling you to love your wife? In the, in a, on a hard day, we have to be compelled because of Christ's love. Not because of the way our wife is responding. It's because Christ's love. I am going to love my wife because of Christ's love. Uh, so think about this. There are so many commands about how we're to love. How you love your wife is an act of worship to God and to Jesus Christ. Have you ever viewed loving your wife as an act of worship? That's exactly what it is. Think about the way you, you can best care for your wife, for your family. Ha, being sure that she's having time to read her Bible. It, it's an act of worship. The fellowship, who she's having fellowship with. Be an encourager. If she's in Wellspring, give her time to do her Wellspring homework. Point B on your handout, you are to be willing to lay down your life for her if called to do so, which is the way Christ demonstrated love for the believer. It, it's the picture of this. It's the picture of John 10, 11, where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Guys, when things are not going well, and you don't think your wife is responding the way you deserve her to respond, think of the picture that Christ is for us. We need the love in the same way. Christ did this while we were so rejecting him. He was the good shepherd. See, you are to love her as much as you love yourself. And that takes us to imperative number six, which is Matthew 22, 38, uh, 39. 38 is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your strength. And, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. You love your wife the same way you love yourself. Imperative number seven is Ephesians 5, which we already read, 28 through 30, in the same way. Again, Jesus is the standard. Jesus is the definition. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own body. So he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hates himself, his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does the church, since we are members of his body. Guys, Jesus is the standard. You are to focus on her welfare, her desires, her well-being, as much as you focus on your own. This is for both the spiritual areas of her life, as well as other areas of her life. You know, do you know what your wife is reading? Do you know what your wife prays for? And, and guys, if you're failing to love your wife here, it starts with seeking forgiveness and acknowledging to your wife, I have missed the mark. This is the man I want to be. This is what Christ has called me to do. I have failed to do. Start with confession. Start start with seeking forgiveness. Uh, ask your wife for help. If you see a deficiency Tell your wife how you want to grow for she can be praying for you.
Imperative number eight, Philippians 2.4, and you're probably thinking, for sure, this, I never saw this as a marriage verse. Everyone should look out not only for his own interest, but for the interests of others. It's, again, it's an imperative. It's loving in the same way that Christ did. You are to protect her from hurt and harm as much as you try to protect yourself. And guys, I know we can try to protect ourselves really, really good. You know, protect her with, with friends, with, with the entertainment. Uh, protect her with what she's reading. Are you, again, it goes back to you, are you aware of what she's reading? That there's some things that you might want to help your wife discern. Maybe it's not the best thing to be reading. You are to treat your wife as you desire to be treated. And I know all of us know how we deserve, we think we deserve to be treated. We want comfort, we want easy, we want do you, do you treat your wife the same way? And, and that takes us to imperative nine, which is Matthew seven twelve. Therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them. Uh, this this has always been God's standard: is we love others, we care for others. The husband is to be the servant of his wife in the same way as Christ loved the church. Uh, your service to your wife is an outflow of your evidence of your love for your wife. Do you take responsibility for things around the house? I mean, guys, I'm talking about the light bulb that needs to be changed. I'm, talking, I'm not talking about brain surgery here. I'm talking about things that are just bless your wife, that things run smoothly at home. Do you take responsibility? Biblical leadership is evidence in service to your wife, to your family, to others. Do you lead your house spiritually? Do you need help? Come, come talk to us. Point C, your attitude is commanded to be the same as Christ who humbled himself, assuming the role of slave. Guys, he is the standard. Do you think that you are above some of the chores and some of the things that need to be taken care of at your house? And that takes us to imperative number 10. And that's Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8. Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus, who existed in the form of God. Do not consider equal. He did not consider himself equal with God as something to be used to his advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. And when he had come as a man in external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Guys, do, do you just think that you are above things that need to be done in your house? Do you think you're above caring for others in your house? True, and this is point D, true humility is evidence in putting interest and welfare of your wife and family before your own by giving yourself regardless of inconvenience or difficulty. Do you, let me ask, do you, do you ever act as if it's above you to be providing these things for your family? Do, do, do you ever think like, 
this just isn't my responsibility. Guys, Christ sacrificed even to the point of death on a cross. And that takes us to imperative number 11, Philippians 2, 3. Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but humility. Consider others more important than yourself. The husband's foremost command is love. And I'm going to fly a little bit quicker for time's sake. Uh, But the picture here is 1 Corinthians 13. Why don't you guys open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 13. I know you're very familiar with this. Uh, verses 1 through 7. But but in these seven verses, what I want you to recognize here is, is God in his wisdom gives us definition and the importance he places on love. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1, 2, and 3 speak to the importance of love. And 4, following is the definition. If I speak human or angelic languages, but do not love, I am a sounding gong and a clanging cymbal. Men, are you just a gong in your home? If you have, if I have the gift of prophecy and understanding all the mysteries and all the knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing And if I donate all my goods to feed the poor, and if I give my body in order to boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. Guys, the remainder of this is going to take us through imperatives 12 through 25. Love's patient. Uh, Being patient is giving up your perceived rights. Let, Let me explain what a perceived right is. You you may come home from work and think you deserve peace and calm, but you get an overflowing toilet. Uh, you don't. You don't have a right. God never promised you peace and quiet when you get home. It, it it may be that you could eat a nice hot meal instead of having to take care of a child that needs to be dealt with. Guys. God never promised you a hot meal. God never promised you perfect kids that, that wouldn't need some care <laughs> at an inconvenient moment. Love's patient. I'm trying to discern what I want to fly past. Uh, guys, what happens to you when you have an unmet expectation? Are you patient? Do you say, God... I know this is what you have for me today. Or do you grumble, complain? Nobody needs to answer that out loud. It's a picture of Matthew 7, 1 through 5. It's taking the log out of your own eye. It's it's doing spec surgery before you go and deal with, with others. Are you easily offended? By being patient... It's learning to be content. It's the picture of Philippians 4.11 and 1 Timothy 6.6. Content whatever the circumstances. Let let me say something. We don't need to go there, but in 4.11, Paul's very clear. He says, I have learned. 
to be content. Yeah, and, and it's interesting. Uh, in the book, uh, When Sinners Say I Do, Dave Harvey does an incredible job of just saying, you know, that at the time of, of salvation, you know, we don't get the automatic download of contentment. You know, it, it's not something that you're now saved, you're automatically content. No, Paul says, I have learned. Men, have you learned to be content? And we know from, from Scripture, to learn to be content comes from renewing your mind, shepherding your heart, being in God. Oh, we got to go back to discipline one. That's right, we do discipline one before we get to discipline two. Guys, it is, how's your time in the Word? You, you will not grow in contentment without being in God's Word. It's the standard. Husbands need to lead in helping the family be content. And just a, a few verses, uh, just, and I'm not sure if it's on your hand up, but Romans 5.3, Galatians 6.9, about being weary. Uh, and I would add Hebrews 12. It, it is so amazing. God's Word is so awesome. It, it, in the context of the Christian persevering, verse 2, chapter 12 of Hebrews says, fix your eyes on Jesus. And in verse 3, it says, so that you don't become weary. Men, we need to be men that are renewing our mind. We're shepherding our hearts. Guys, if we don't get D1, we're going to blow D2. Don't be boastful. Don't be arrogant. Don't act superior to your spouse. Don't be superior to others that you live with. Guys, you ever try to control your wife with using logic? <laughs> Guys, that's not a blessing. I'm so capable of doing that. Uh, guys, we need to be a blessing, not boastful and arrogant. Rude. Uh, your wife is your co-heir. That's what 1 Peter 3.7 says. Colossians 3.9 says, Love, do not be harsh. Romans 12.10, honor one another. Guys, do not be rude. Sarcastic, coarse, vulgar, hurtful language, sharp words. It's Ephesians 4.29. We speak wholesome words. We, we want to be edifying to the one that's hearing. Men, we're loving as Christ loved the church. Don't be easily angered. No physical or emotional harm to your wife. Forgive your wife. Respond gently when you're sinned against. It, it picture of, of, of Proverbs 15.1, a gentle answer turns away wrath. And, and let me say this, because I think maybe there's a chance that there's going to be a time where sometime, maybe in the far distant future, you may not answer gently. Uh, when, when you do that, <coughs> seek forgiveness for a harsh word. Initiate love by acknowledging my communication was not helpful. Will you please forgive me for, for the harsh word I just spoke? Uh, you must not make a record of wrongs. Love doesn't hold a grudge. Love doesn't uh, repay evil for evil. Love forgives transgressions the same way as Christ has forgiven you. Don't delight in evil. Do not engage in lustful, sinful activities. Uh, do not influence your wife to engage in activities. 
uh, help your wife glorify God. You are to bear all things. You are to protect her. Think about Christ's example seen in Hebrews 13.5 where he says, never leave us, he'll never forsake us. Do Do you love your wife the same way? And if you have blown it, men, seek forgiveness. Confess your sin to God. Uh, you must believe all things. Put the best interpretation uh, on a situation. Uh, give your wife the same benefit of thought as you would want her to give to you. Don't judge motives. I, guys, I, as a as a younger man, I I used to blow blow this. Let me be really transparent. My wife can listen to this because I have confessed this to her, and it did take me a period of time to get through it. But my my wife's mother, my wife's grandmother, they would they have this certain facial look, and it and there's times where my wife will it's it's who she is. She'll just have this look and say, "What does that mean?" She said, it doesn't mean a thing. I said, "No, you gave me the look." And she goes, "I didn't give you a look," and I said. Honey, you gave me the look. What are you laughing at? (laughs) I bare my soul when you're laughing at me. But what I'm telling you here, though, is she would have... Guys, she has no control over this facial expression. Her mother still does it. Her grandmother, if she was alive, would still be doing it. And I would always put a horrible connotation to why that look. Guys, it's so foolish when we do things like that. Uh, I, I, that was hard on my wife. That, that, and Lord, praise God, you have grown me. <laughs> praise God. But we are to believe all things. Put the best interpretation. Uh, love hopes all things. Uh, hoping all things. We're, we're an encourager. It's a picture of Hebrews 3.13 to encourage our spouses that they are not caught by the deceitfulness of sin. Love endures all things, perseveres with godly attitudes. And seven on your handout, the husband is to be the head, the leader of his wife and family in the same way Christ is the head of the church. You are to lead your wife because it's the position already given to you. You don't need to go home and figure out a new org chart for your home. This position is given in Scripture. Men, the, the, the fallacy of, of passivity is harmful. And God has put you in this position. If, if you're here and you haven't, if you failed to lead, will you go to your wife and tell her, I'm convinced this is what Scripture calls me to do. I need help. I haven't, I haven't led you well. I haven't been the role model that God has called me to be in my family. Will you you confess your sin? Will you confess it to God and seek forgiveness from your spouses? Uh, You are to lead your wife as Christ led his church by being a decision maker. Uh, Guys, again, I can't speak enough about passivity. I've just seen that in so many times where, where men just want peace and quiet so therefore I will do nothing guys we're we're called to lead our families takes us to imperative 26 
And, and I'm going to reference James 1.5 uh, that we, we seek wisdom in our godly decisions in prayer. Uh, Psalm 119.24, uh, we in, inform our decisions by seeking scripture as our counselor. Proverbs 19.20, by seeking counsel of others. Guys, bless your wife by being a godly, wisdomful decision maker. Seek your wife's counsel and input before making important decisions. I, I'm not making this up. I knew a man once who told me that he went out and he bought a house without his wife's barely knowledge, but she clearly didn't see it, and he was shocked when she didn't like the home. <laughs> right, this is sick wisdom. So when he dropped his hat, was he shocked when it hit the floor? <laughs> I'll just tell you the truth, I'm not sure if he ever got to move into it, but oh, wow. But, you know, that's, you know, guys, seek your wife's counsel. Uh, Imperative 27, Galatians 6, 7, do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. What a man sows is also what he reaps. Guys, if you're lazy, you're going to reap what you sow. Uh, If you are lazy in being a decision maker, guys, you are going to reap what you sow. Uh, And I can go on, and I will just for a minute. I made a living, I think all of you know, I owned an automobile repossession company for 30 years. And guys, before the big economy tank, basically it was people that were just overextended. And and it was their lack of doing something, their lack of even picking up the phone to say, I can't make the payment. But it was an F, I saw it time and time and time and time again, a, a lack of doing the right thing had horrible consequences. You know, how do you expect me to get to work? Well, you weren't making the payment when you were working. I don't know. But the the point is, guys, if you don't want to make decisions, guys, you're going to reap what you sell. Men, you need to be men. Uh, Don't no don't neglect things, take needed action. It's a picture of Proverbs twenty four, thirty through thirty four, Ecclesiastes ten eighteen. Don't be a slacker. Again I'm gonna say it, you know, realize that to make no decision it, it is a decision. And and here's the thing, guys. Do not put your wife in a position where she's tempted to take over your God given role because you're you're a slacker. Guys, we, we see it in our, our country, we see it in homes, we see it in, in the church, where men have just failed to take their God-given responsibility and position, and, and women will just get in the driver's seat because somebody needs to do something. Eight, a husband's to provide and protect his wife as much as in the same way as Christ protects, provides and protects for his chosen ones. Guys, you must provide and protect your family. And that takes us to imperative 28. Uh, and that's 2 Thessalonians 3, 10 through 13. And I'm just going to give you the gist of it. Scripture tells us if anybody isn't willing to work, they sure need. Guys, we need to be responsible. And that is protecting your family by you being a godly, respectable man in the, your work ethic. And, and guys, I, I want to just take a brief 
you, you need to consider your attitude towards work. Uh, your family, your, your wife, your kids, they need to see your thanksgiving for the job that you have. I realize there, there's not a perfect boss. The, the perfect boss is, is in heaven. I understand that. Uh, here we live with these relationships. Guys, we need to be thankful for God's provision. E even on a hard day when work is not going well, God, thank you for giving me the job that I have. First uh, Timothy 5.8, if you don't provide, you're worse than a non-believer. Guys, don't be lazy slackers. Adjust your lifestyle to your income, learning to be content, learning to be content. And here, here's the thing. If you find yourself in this spot where, where you have already blown this, or maybe you feel like you're in a hole that you've already blown, and you know what? Our lifestyle, we're, we're having to make adjustments. Will, will you own it to your spouse? Will you own it to the Lord and confess it? You're, if, if this is where you're at, confess it to God that it's been sinful how you have just assumed on his provision. Confess it to your wife that I, I haven't been wise and then work diligently to, to undo decisions, there, there is a way out from underneath it. But it starts with acknowledging, I, I haven't done this well. Maybe even, it's been sinful. Uh, you know, don't be pursuing just materialistic goals. Protect your family by not being involved in excessive behaviors, work, hobby hobbies. Guys, you need to be a good role model, not just to your wife, but to, to your kids. Protect your family from, from what they view on TV, computers in the house, what you hear on the radio. I'll never forget the time talking with somebody, and here we are the day before Super Bowl, seems appropriate, and they're watching the football it's Sunday afternoon, and one of those male commercials come on with the seven-year-old asking mom and dad, what's that? Guys, it's just not helpful. Be sensitive to, to what you're allowing. Use a filter of what's coming into your house. Uh, little ears are, are hearings. And you know what? It, it's not a blessing for your wife either. Uh, protect your family by not enabling or supporting the sin of family members or by ignoring sinful, evil influences. Protect your family from wrong teaching, wrong doctrine. Nine on your handout, and we might get there. Uh, the husband must provide for her sensual desires in a godly, cherishing way. Uh, guys, we, we need to understand God's intimacy in marriage, and the picture of it is Genesis 2, 18 through 25. God's desire is oneness. But I, I fear uh, for not just our culture, I fear for even men in this room that we have allowed uh, pornography to, to, what's the word I'm looking for? To give definition to what intimacy is. Guys, that is not God's design. For intimacy. God's design for intimacy is one flesh. And if you have filled your mind with things that 
are not even humanly possible that you might see on, on the internet. Confess, confess it as sin, repent, flee. If you're involved in pornography, confess it to a brother. Look for accountability, look for help. Uh, and that takes us to imperative 29, and I would love to spend a little bit more time here, and I'm going to because it's so important. First Thessalonians 4, 3 through 8. Guys, will you go to First Thessalonians? As you're going there, I'll remind you, so often all of us say, God, I just want to know your will for my life. Oh, God, show me your will. Well, praise God, First Thessalonians 4, 3 through 8, he does. God's word says, for this is God's will, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Sexual immorality is the deeds, it's actions, it's talking about the actions here, so that each of you knows how to control his own body in sanctification and honor, not with lustful desires like the Gentiles who do not know God, with this means one must not transgress against and defraud his brother in this matter. Check that out. Your involvement in sinful action, thought, when it comes to sexual, sensual things, is defrauding your sister. Because the Lord is an avenger to all these offenses. As we also previously told you and warned you, for God has not called us to impurity. So we, it starts with se- sexual immorality, which is deed, action. Impurity is our thinking. It, it's what's going on in here. It's like gold where you take the impurity out of gold. God, God even cares about your thought life. But to, to sanctification... Therefore, the person who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who also gives you his Holy Spirit. Men, if you have allowed the world to define what intimacy is, repent. Guys, you will never be satisfied. You need to understand God's design for intimacy It's an act of giving to your wife rather than receiving. Understand God's goal is not performance, but an expression of love is what God's goal is. Guys, we we this area in our culture is so performance driven. It is a lie from the pit of hell that has never been God's design. Guard your mind, make purity of thought, attitude, behavior your goal. Check this out. Develop a biblical view of sexuality. Spend time in Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. God clearly told us what his design and desire was. Do not be controlled by sexual lust that lead to unreasonable demands of your wife. That's Romans 13, 14. Make no plans to satisfy fleshly desires. Do not depend on sex to to build your ego. Don't satisfy your your lust with pornography or other people. Understand that your body belongs to your wife, and that that's First Corinthians seven four. In marriage, your body belongs to your wife. Verse five. Understand that God does not want you 
to selfishly deprive your wife. Ten, the husband is to be the source of strength and dependability in times of trials, the same way Christ has. And here's the picture of it, casting your burdens on the Lord. Imperative number 30 is First Peter 5, 7, Psalm 56, 55, 22. Cast your burdens on the Lord. He will sustain you. I want you to recognize something about he will sustain you. Just the fact that we are vertical, alive today, is proof positive God is still sustaining the earth. If God were to turn his head and quit sustaining the earth, guys, we wouldn't be here. It'd be over. God is sustaining us. Uh, Point A, depend on the Lord to sustain you as a leader in the home. Guys, that means be prayerful. Be mindful. Uh, that you can be a comfort to others. Second Corinthians 1, 4. Remain calm. Think of 2 Corinthians 12, 9. God's grace is sufficient for you. Model thanksgiving. Uh, bearing your wife's burdens. 11 is the husband is to take leadership in developing a mindset that he and his family exist to serve God's external purposes. Help your wife in being hospitable. Use your resources. Use your home to, to have fellowship with others, to, to give what you have. And, and I'm flying pretty quick, so I want to spend more time here on the last point. Uh, a husband must live with his wife in an understanding way. And it's imperative 32, and it's First Peter 3.7. Let's let's go to First Peter three seven. I realize as you're going to First Peter three seven, it may uh, be hard for some of you to follow along because I am using the NIV. Uh, there's so much here, man. <coughs> Husbands, in the same way. Well. Your student of the word, first thing you're going to say is in the same way as what? This ties all the way back to chapter 2, verse 22. It's in the same way as Jesus Christ. When they hurled insults at him, he didn't retaliate. When they put a crown of thorns on him, he didn't retaliate. He, he entrusted himself to his Father in heaven. Men, husbands, in the same way, Live with your wife in an understanding way. Understanding she is the weaker, she's weaker by nature, yet showing honor to her as a co-heir of the grace of life. God has put your wife in a very vulnerable position to submit to you. Be a man that's, that, that makes it easy for your wife to submit. Make it a man that easy for your wife to respect. And, and here's the uh, here's the bad news, of verse seven. If you aren't doing this, so that your prayers will not be hindered, guys. There's, there's consequences in how we love our wives. Be sensitive to her. Show interest in her opinions and what is important to her. Be compassionate. Be kind. Be considerate. And, and I'm sure many of you have heard me say this. And when we talk about be compassionate, be kind, kindness in Scripture 
almost every time you see the word kindness in scripture, if you read a couple verses either way, the context almost always is repentance. Remember Romans 2, 4, it's your kindness, Lord, that leads us to repentance. We can be instruments of kindness to our spouses. Do not threaten. Do not be threatened by her gifts. Don't be threatened by her holiness. Uh, encourage them. It, it might be a call. Guys, I, I can remember when Ann and I were newly believers and she had the time to, to do more Bible study. She had the time to do more Bible reading. I, I was watching my wife grow far faster than I I was working like many of you, and, and I'll tell you what, you, you see this, it, it's a call to, I need to work harder. It's a call to work harder. It's, it's not a call to sit back and be passive and let your wife drive. You know what? You need the pace. You, you need to get going. Uh, seek your help and encouragement in areas where you need help, growth, or change. Here's the thing. In, in Scripture, God says, that, that we needed a helper. And I, I love this, this definition of the word helper. One who provides what you cannot provide for yourself. God has given you a helper, and she is someone who can provide for you things that you can't provide for yourself. Be willing to accept, admonish, take... Be willing to accept admonishment from your wife without threatening or being defensive. Confess your sins. Be willing to confess your sins to God. Even maybe even confessing your sins with, with, with her as your, to God with her as your witness as you confess them. Lead by example. Guys, for you that have children, you know, if you ever wondered why don't my kids ever seek forgiveness, I would ask you, well, how are you doing at modeling that? Guys, our, our family will, will pick up the example. Do you want to give them a godly example? Uh, be understanding by encouraging your wife daily. Look for ways to compliment, identify evidences of God's grace in her. Frequently tell your wife that you love her. Tell her why you love her. That's important. Tell your wife why you love her. You make really good meatloaf, honey. Uh, no, tell, tell your wife. What's that? The, the guys that are laughing right now—they're the guys that do that. I know that. I, I know that. Guys, it's 13 minutes after. Time for a couple questions. Any questions? I, my words were that clear that there's no questions. Let me pray. Oh, Lord, I, I praise you that you have given us the perfect example. It's your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I, I pray for these men that they would that they would recall and bring to memory the truth of 2 Corinthians 5, 14. It is Christ's love that compels us. Father, because we did not get what we deserve, but we got mercy. We did not get wrath, but we got fellowship with a Savior. Father, may we be compelled
to love our wives, our families, those we live with, because of what you have done. Father, may we never lose sight of your perfect provision. Father, I pray for these men, Lord. I, I pray, Lord, that, that this message, your word, I did not get in the way of the power of your word, Lord. Father, thank you for being an awesome God. We pray all this in the beautiful name of our Savior, your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.